Happy November. I don't know where you are right now, but here in Grand Rapids in West Michigan, we are just enjoying the most luxurious, long, leisurely fall, a gradual slide into cooler temperatures. The color changing has just been so gradual and beautiful, and we've just been able to soak in all of the abundant colors, and there has just been an inordinate amount of sunshine uh, to enjoy. We went out trick-or-treating with the kids on Sunday evening and were remarking that it was just the best weather Halloween that we have experienced in our eight seasons here in Michigan. And so we've just been enjoying this, and it's been a reminder of what we talked about on Sunday, that we serve a God who gives and gives generously and lavishly. As Jesus said, God causes his son to rise on the righteous and on the unrighteous, his reign to fall on the just and on the unjust. And so even when we have seasons where the weather isn't so pleasant or agreeable, we are reminded in these moments of the goodness of the heart of God towards us. And so last Sunday, we talked about God's extravagant and good promises to David, how God demonstrates that the human heart that is bent towards religion towards a notion that there is something we either must do to serve and to please God in order to curry favor with him, or that God is somehow an object that we can manipulate, that we can bargain with or put in our debt so that we are owed something from God. Those are the impulses at the heart of human religion. And the God who inspired the sacred scriptures is nothing like that. And from the beginning to the end of the book is saying over and over again, no, I am the God who gives to creation rather than demanding something from creation. I am the God who serves and who gives and who delights to extend blessing out of a place of love. And so as I, I thought about both the promises made to David in 1 Chronicles 17, which was our text, but also David's praises that precede that promise, as well as David's prayer that follows that promise. In the back of my mind, I was coming over and over and over again to Jesus's sample prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And so many elements of the Sermon on the Mount really come to bear because Jesus in that sermon is saying much of what we see in 1 Chronicles 17. This is really the message of Scripture echoed throughout. And it is this, it is that there is nothing that we can do in obedience to propel God to love us. God already loves us and desires to do good to us. And that should inform our posture as humans, we who have received much, who behold a God who gives so lavishly, should also give lavishly and forgive one another and operate from a heart posture that seeks the good of the other, not to exploit and to harm and to get what we can manipulatively from the other out of anger or by being people who do not keep our words or who seek retaliation, even to the point of loving enemies. And embedded in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount is this prayer of Jesus that is so familiar to us and yet is so rich if we take the time to consider it. And so I just want to take a moment 
to walk us through this prayer. It echoes the three things that I emphasized God giving to us, a name, a house, and victory. The prayer begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The prayer begins with a statement that God is our heavenly father, our heavenly parent, the one from whom we receive our identity, the one to whom we belong. That was one of the things that we talked about on Sunday, that a name does not just tell us who we are, but whose we are. And so Jesus gives us an identity, a family name that we share with God. And he asks that that name be hallowed, that it be extended throughout the earth. This is what Paul means in Ephesians 3 when he says that he bends his knees before God the Father from whom every family on earth is named. The prayer here is that that would come to pass, that every person on earth would enter into the reality of being in family relationship with God. So that is the name. The the next request in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is that kingdom, that inheritance, that house, the significance of the father language, which we tend to think restricts the gender of God to being masculine, is really language of inheritance. This is the language that David receives from Nathan regarding his own son, that God will be the father of David's son, not biologically, not genetically, but by means of inheritance. And that's where he says to David that it will be God's kingdom that David's descendant rules over. And Solomon is not the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And here we are taught to pray that that inheritance would come to its fullest fruition, that God's kingdom would extend not only in heaven, but also throughout the earth, that God's house would be established fully on the earth. And this is related to what follows, give us this day our daily bread. The kingdoms of Israel and the kingdoms of the earth are seeking to provide stability so that people can flourish and have everything that we need to provide a space for us to work and to produce and to steward the land and to receive the blessings that God placed within creation. That is our role as image bearers, is to steward the earth, to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to steward it towards its flourishing. And so Jesus instructs us to pray, give us today our daily bread, give us what we need, give us the blessing of creation. And someone pointed out to me, and I had never seen this before, that we ask for what we need physically and materially in Jesus's prayer before asking for forgiveness. And that's a revolutionary thought that Jesus tells us, come confidently to God asking for what you need, not imagining that you need to first deal with your sin. How often are we told that? Some of you may have been instructed in the ACTS formula of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And Jesus's prayer, Jesus, the one time he taught his disciples how to pray, did not follow that pattern. Supplication came before confession. Jesus is adored 
Jesus' God is adored because that is a God who gives without reference to the sinful standing of the one asking. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The house of God, the kingdom of God is established when we enter into right relationship to a God who gives freely and unconditionally, not looking to manipulate him. And then finally, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The translation there is important. It is a definite noun, the evil one, not just an abstract idea of evil. And we pray that God would deliver us from the evil one. And what the evil one wants to do is to kill, steal, and destroy, to lie to us about who God is, that God is someone who's angry at us and has to be bought off, rather than a God who is desperately desiring to love us and is willing to do anything in order to redeem and save us from ourselves. And to lie to us about ourselves, to say that we are either in the place of God or that more often we are not worthy of God's love. And so the evil one lures us into all kinds of self-destructive and destructive of others patterns of behavior. And our prayer is that we would be delivered from the evil one's schemes. And God promises us the victory Other translations of the scriptures include a line after this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That is the confidence that our prayer will be answered. This is the prayer that the church has prayed for 2,000 years. And I find especially in this moment that it is a timely prayer to be reminded of the name that we have been given, of the house to which we belong, and the victory that we ask for every day. May it be in our time that Jesus brings about the fulfillment of this prayer.